the spamming and scamming tactics that have become all too common are doing real damage to our ability to reach people and hold their attention. I'm Eric Wilson, managing partner of Startup Caucus, the home of campaign tech innovation on the right. Welcome to the Business of Politics show. On this podcast, you're joining in on a conversation with entrepreneurs, operatives, and experts who make professional politics happen. Josh Nelson is the CEO of Civic Shout, whose motto is surprisingly easy email and SMS acquisition for your progressive cause or campaign. He's been a vocal critic of the status quo when it comes to online fundraising practices on both the right and the left. Civic Shout just released a poll that asked Democratic and Democratic-leaning independent voters about their views around email and SMS fundraising by political campaigns. We dig into that poll in our conversation and learn more about the better way forward for campaign marketing that Josh is working to build. Josh, we've got a lot to talk about in this fascinating poll you released, and I just want to hold it up as an example for other entrepreneurs. This is how you do marketing right for your company, creating content, adding value. And so kudos to you for that. I think it's a great idea. I hope more people do it. So let's dive right in. 57% of respondents said they would like to stop receiving all political campaign emails and texts immediately. And that what was fascinating to me is that also included people who told you they opted in to receive those messages. What does this tell us about the effectiveness of most digital campaigns right now? In aggregate, I think it tells us that the spamming and scamming tactics that have become all too common in our industry are doing real damage to our ability to reach people and and hold their attention. You know, one thing I do want to clarify is that we we didn't get crosstabs that account for uh, whether or not someone opted in Mm. to receive emails and texts. Um, I, I would say it's pretty safe to assume that I just did my own arithmetic on it. So I'll take the, the credit on that. <laughs> oh, excellent. <laughs> or the um, I, I think it's pretty safe to assume that people who, you know, explicitly and intentionally sign up to hear from a campaign are in fact far more interested in hearing from them um, and far more likely to respond positively. What's sad to me is that digital campaigning has so much potential to engage people in the political process and, and change our politics for the better. Um, But instead, for the most part, we're squandering that right now by spamming and scamming supporters to such a great extent that many of them are at risk of tuning out completely. So let's figure out how we got here, right? Because I think part of it is we saw just a digitization of direct mail tactics, which were always sort of, I wouldn't say scammy, but written in that style of like, this is really urgent because you think of all the hurdles that someone would have to go to to write a check, mail it in, that sort of thing. But the internet has reduced the cost to do that and, and allowed people to just kind of amp up the the tactics. This was effective at some point, right? I mean, so how do we get here? Yeah, I think, um, you know, stepping back, say, you know, close to 20 years, starting, you know, I think really with the, the Dean campaign, mm. uh, at least on the Democratic side, campaign managers, practitioners, candidates themselves, started to see the tremendous potential of the internet for reaching and mobilizing grassroots supporters, right? So you saw that with Dean, uh, the Dean campaign's meetups on meetup.com famously. <laughs> um, the Obama campaign uh, in 2008 took that to the next level with a phenomenal email program that raised uh, a, a great deal uh, of money um, and, and reached tons of supporters. 
I think that really caught the attention of uh, some of the fundraising focused um, and, and big money focused um, folks, um, certainly in the Democratic Party. And, and, I, and I think probably in, in the Republican Party as well. Um, and that, you know, has morphed uh, over the last, you know, 15 or 20 years into, you know, essentially a single minded focus on um, raising money. Right. Um, you know, the phrase that gets thrown around is that, um, you know, some campaigns treat their their email community or their SMS community um, like an ATM. Um, and so, you know, folks saw that potential. Um, they started tapping into it and they got, you know, I think over time, uh, increasingly, increasingly desperate um, to, to raise as much money as possible in the short term uh, without any regard for, you know, the potential long term consequences of that. Um, so I think that has led to you know, in combination with, you know, a lack of um, any real standards body or any any real enforcement from technology vendors, that's led to um, some really unfortunate tactics where, you know, campaigns are essentially um, buying lists of donors, um, sending them ridiculous volumes of unsolicited spam um, and using, you know, what are essentially fraudulent tactics to, to trick them into donating. Yeah, I think that's the, that's the right diagnosis that uh, treating digital like an ATM um, is a short-sighted mindset that we've we've kind of boxed in our our digital campaigns to and and really limited the potential and you know we obviously risk polluting and probably already have uh, a critical communications channel for campaigns big and small if if texts and emails are just universally despised especially as we start to see sort of the online media landscape fragment even further. What did you learn about how it's shaping voters' behavior? Yeah, well, one of the most interesting findings from the survey uh, was that 24% of Democrats and independents um, said that there were times this past cycle when they decided not to donate or volunteer uh, because they were afraid they'd get even more emails and text messages than they already receive. Um, That's a huge amount of money, a huge amount of volunteer hours um, that were collectively um, leaving on the table by swapping donor contact info and and spamming people with messages they don't want to receive. Uh, right. I think it's useful to you know take a step back and think about that for a moment from a donor's perspective. Um, so say you know you're someone who recently became politically engaged due to um, some policy development that matters to you personally. Um, you decide to chip in $50 each to a handful of candidates, uh, maybe your local congressional candidate, uh, maybe leadership in the party you support, um, folks who agree with you on that issue you care about. Uh, in return, instead of being thanked for your donation and <laughs> being asked to get involved in other ways, your contact information, sometimes, not always, uh, is then sold to dozens of other campaigns uh, who proceed to bombard you with five or more unsolicited fundraising emails per day. Um, So we're essentially punishing people for getting involved in our campaigns online. And from a fundraising perspective, uh, I I think that's unsustainable uh, since we'll eventually run out of new donors to spam and scam. From a civic engagement perspective, I think it's also problematic since we're creating a, a real disincentive for people to get involved in the political process. Right. And yeah, it sends a signal that your only value to a campaign is as a as a donor. Um, and, you know, we, we sort of heard for the, the longest time that that was those, those emails were just going to a small segment of, of grassroots. And so they were always going to be with us. It didn't matter 
you know, what we said to them. And in some of our post-election surveys, uh, I've been surprised at how many voters received fundraising solicitations. Uh, it's often <laughs> reaching more voters than door knocks and phone calls. Um, and so what should campaigns be doing in, in light of this shift of fundraising as voter contact? Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point about, you know, how many, just how many people, how many gra- potential grassroots supporters are being reached by these messages, um, especially when you look at, you know, the relatively low uh, viewership numbers that we see on, uh, you know, on MSNBC, on Fox News, on CNN, um, you know, when compared to the millions or sometimes tens of millions of people um, who are getting these, you know, these fraudulent uh, emails and texts. Um, you know, like we were talking about uh, a couple of minutes ago, I, I, I think the the problem um, largely stems from campaigns viewing their digital program as an ATM. Um, so if, it, you know, if all you care about is raising money, it's no surprise that you'll buy uh, donor lists and, and berate people uh, until they donate or unsubscribe. Um, so I would say that campaigns should take a much broader view of what they're doing online and recognize that email and SMS are also valuable channels for recruiting volunteers, uh, for educating potential supporters on your policy positions, uh, and for getting out the vote. Um, so there are, there are other things that campaigns can and, and should be doing uh, with their digital programs. I think if I could diagnose the, the, the breakdown in this way, it would be, you know, there's, there's a disconnect between believing that online life is real life. Um, and for a lot of us over the last several years of the pandemic, we've realized just how much, um, you know, online life um, has become real life. So for example, you and I have, have really only ever interacted online. We met f- in person for the first time a few months ago at a conference. Um, but, but that's, that's true for, for voters as well. And, um, you know, I think it's really eye-opening in your data that a third of voters receiving these messages find them annoying and they don't work. 68% of the people you surveyed said they didn't donate. So I'm curious, how do campaigns still justify the effort and the expense of these these programs? Is there a, is there a reckoning on the horizon? I, I think there might be. Um, you know, many campaigns are are defining success too narrowly, right? Mm-hmm. So um, they're, they're only paying attention to um, short-term dollars raised um, without taking into account the damage their digital fundraising programs might be doing to um, their candidate's reputation um, and, and to their long-term um, fundraising prospects. And so if you are just, um, if, you're, if you're only evaluating your email program um, on the basis of, you know, how much money did this email raise? How much did we raise in this in this quarter um, in advance of the, the FEC deadline? You know, there there are, you know, I hate to say it, but there are ways that you can, um, you know, you can buy some donor lists and, and email people 20, 20 times a day. Um, and you are in the short term, probably going to raise a lot of money. Um, I think what folks are missing there are, are some of those long-term reputational uh, consequences and long-term uh, fundraising consequences. You're listening to the Business of Politics show. I'm speaking with Josh Nelson, CEO of Civic Shout, about email and SMS fundraising. Josh, with Civic Shout, you're building a different approach to email list building and fundraising. What is unique about your platform? Yeah, so at, at Civic Shout, uh, we believe that donors and supporters deserve the right to choose for themselves which campaigns and organizations they receive emails and text messages from. 
Um, so that's why we include an opt-in checkbox on all of our petitions on the platform um, that say, you know, essentially, I want to receive uh, emails and text messages from this campaign. Um, we think that's better for both donors and campaigns. Uh, it's, it's better for donors because they are given the power to make their own decisions and they don't have to deal with an onslaught of unsolicited spam from campaigns they don't care about. Uh, we think it's better for campaigns because when people intentionally sign up to get your emails or text messages, they are far more likely to respond positively when you contact them. Um, so that includes vanity metrics like open rates, as well as more important ones like long-term engagement and donations. And so the, the campaigns, when they sign up, they still get the, well, once someone has opted in, they still get the contact information from the, the user, right? Exactly. Um, that's right. But the, the only way that a campaign uh, or, or nonprofit, we work with progressive nonprofits, labor unions, folks like that as well. The only way, you know, our partner organizations can uh, acquire contact information of supporters is if that individual supporter signs their branded petition with an opt-in checkbox checked that says they want to get emails and text messages from them. And so what you're starting to get to is one of the things that I, I, I really identify as a big trend um, in campaign technology broadly, which is software that follows the supporter rather than the campaign. Um, Mobilize, I think, is probably the biggest example of this, where it is an events platform that other people plug into. And and it seems to me that that's what Civic Shout is is building. Yeah, that's right. We're, we're building, you know, this this base of, uh, you know, grassroots, um, democratic and progressive activists and donors. Um, and these are folks who, you know, by and large, want to be uh, involved with campaigns, right? They, they want they want to sign petitions, they want to volunteer, they want to uh, uh, donate um, and, and get involved in other ways. Um, so, you know, in some ways, we're sort of like a, um, you know, like a, a matchmaker service, right? right? So on, on one side, you've got the supporters who want to be involved. On the other side, you've got the campaigns and organizations who who want and, and really need to um, reach those supporters. Uh, we, we facilitate that process. And you've obviously been very vocal about calling out bad actors in our industry, both in your party and in the Republican Party. I can't imagine that that has earned you a lot of friends, maybe a few people um, in your DMs or inbox saying, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you, but maybe not saying it publicly. What uh, what effect has it had in, in changing business practices uh, within the, the democratic or progressive fundraising space? Yeah, I think it's um yeah, it's funny you mentioned that it hasn't uh hasn't really made me too many friends. I think that's um I think it's made me a lot of friends and it's made me a lot of enemies. Um, <laughs> so I'll take the uh I'll take the good with the bad there. Um you know, overall I think we've seen um we've seen some progress. Um so there's, you know, a, a growing number of of practitioners and agencies uh, on the democratic side that are are becoming aware of the uh, the consequences uh, of the status quo and, and of the need to uh, treat potential supporters with respect. Um, there were quite a few campaigns this cycle um, that sent emails um, laying out um, how they think about their email program and why they choose not to spam and scam people. You know, I've been watching debates over these types of tactics play out on the Democratic side for about 15 years now. Uh, <laughs> and those, those debates are, are far from settled. Um, but those of us who believe spamming and scamming are problematic uh, have, have been winning that argument for the past few years now. Yeah. And I think you've had something happen, you know, just in the last couple of months where between changes with uh, Facebook advertising, increases on privacy, you know, just right out of the box with with Apple 
and Gmail that that is is really put a damper on some of these tactics. So I think people are going to be forced to adapt. But it really is interesting. Have you have you heard maybe anecdotally from folks who have sent out those emails explaining why they're running a more respectful campaign? How that worked for them? I have not, although, um, no, I've not talked to them explicitly about it. Although one thing, you know, without, without naming the agency, there's a prominent democratic agency, um, that sent, uh, emails along those lines from one or two clients. And then a few months later, they sent a bunch more of them from other clients, um, which to me is an indication that it, that it actually worked. That's how you know it's working. Right. Exactly. Um, so Josh, beyond civic shout, doing this the right way and, and appealing to kind of our better angels of, of being respectful of our supporters. What else do you think can be done to address this challenge of ethical digital campaigning? Yeah. So for a long time, I thought that, you know, that it's a relatively small industry, right? And it's a relatively small community of people who, um, you know, run uh, democratic campaigns, who run um, digital for democratic campaigns. Um, and so I thought that maybe through persuasion, through naming and shaming uh, <laughs> and things like that, we could sort of change um, change the culture uh, and change behavior. Myself and others tried that for years. That did not, in fact, work. Right. Um, and it turns out, you know, when when, you know, sometimes when you shame people for um, problematic behavior, um, it just makes them sort of dig in their heels uh, mm. and become even more stubborn. It's not a it's not a very persuasive tactic. Um, so for a while after that, I started to think that that the best opportunity to, you know, get, you know, I, I, I mostly pay attention to the Democratic side, but to, you know, to get Democratic campaigns to, to stop spamming and scamming would be for the technology vendors that we rely on to, you know, strengthen and enforce their terms of service, right? So that could be a, an NGP van uh, slash every action, could be somebody like ActBlue uh, on the Democratic side as well. Um, and so I, uh, I spearheaded uh, an open letter to um, NGP, NGP Van uh, about 15 months ago, um, signed by you know close to 100 um, prominent folks uh, in the industry on the Democratic side, essentially calling on them to to do just that, um, strengthen uh, and enforce um, their own terms when it comes to uh, unsolicited spam, when it comes to um, particularly you know deceptive or otherwise um, problematic tactics. Um, They've responded a bit. Uh, NGP has um, taken some strides to, you know, particularly on the unsolicited spam side, um, to enforce their their existing prohibition on that more. Um, when it comes to, you know, what I call the the scamming, the other side of the equation, which includes some of the the, the fraudulent um, content we see, um, NGP has has essentially said that, um, you know, it's not their place to say um, who are they to be um, the arbiter of of what content is or is not. Um, acceptable. One concern that I do have uh, is that um, you know I'm a I'm, I'm a Democrat and I, I want Democrats to win. Um, so I do worry sometimes that if you know if Democrats uh, you know on this issue or or others frankly decide to take the the high road and unilaterally disarm on some of these tactics, it could lead to a short term disadvantage. Right. And so, you know, in the very short term, the side that's defrauding more potential supporters to raise more money um, has a has an immediate advantage in that next election. Long term, I think, you know, the side that's doing that is burning out their donor base and has a, has a long term disadvantage. But ultimately, I would like to see both sides held to the same standard. Um, and that's, you know, 
outside of, uh, you know, Gmail or somebody deciding to play a really decisive role, that's probably going to require um, federal legislation uh, or, or some kind of regulation um, cracking down uh, on, on spamming and or scamming. Right. So that, that might look like, um, you know, reopening and and amending um, the, the can spam act, which excluded um, and exempted uh, political campaigns. Um, And so can spam act is essentially the federal law that says you can't send unsolicited emails. Yeah, and it's got a, a number of other um, sort of regulations about, um, you know, letting people unsubscribe when they try to um, and, and things like that. Um, so, you know, maybe maybe there's an effort along those lines or maybe it's through, you know, the the FEC, the you know, Federal Election Commission or the Federal Trade Commission, um, you know, could theoretically put put some regulations in place. Interesting. Well, um, I, I think that, you know, unless campaigns uh, get their acts together, that that stuff is is certainly going to be something that voters and constituents ask from from their lawmakers. Because, I mean, as we saw in your poll, people are people are sick of it. Um, they they don't want to receive it anymore. I, I'm of the mindset that the, the bottom has fallen out of it um, and that we're going to we're going to see a, a shift. Of course, they're always going to be bad actors. But uh, I, I I'm, I'm really glad that you're you're sort of leading this conversation. And, and I think people are are recognizing this on the, the right as well. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to hear from you, Josh, who has the, the, the best email program uh, on, on the left and the right? Who are the folks who are doing this the right way? Yeah. So on the left, um, you know, one of my favorite email programs, um, and, and she has a great SMS program as well, is, is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. I'm sure very popular uh, with, with your listeners. Um, she you had to go email- yeah, uh, yeah. Um, her her email program uh, is run by a Democratic agency called Middle Seat. Uh, runs you know some of the best uh, email programs for federal campaigns. A um, couple of the things I like about AOC's email program: um, one, um, she's never going to uh, berate and guilt trip you, right? Mm-hmm. So she's never going to you know engage in in some of the worst and most problematic tactics to squeeze every single donation uh, out of every single potential donor. Um, so that's appreciated. And, and they were, you know, one of the campaigns that sent those, um, you know, one of these emails explicitly laying out how they think about their email program, why they, you know, consciously decided to treat um, their supporters with respect. A um, couple other things that email program does. Um, one uh, is they use it uh, as an advocacy channel, uh, as well as a fundraising channel. Um, so there was, I think it was um, during the the bipartisan infrastructure bill debate um, when uh, they, they sent out an email encouraging people to call their member of Congress, um, which is, you know, a tactic you usually see from advocacy organizations right. um, in support of, uh, I think it was high speed rail. Right. And this is a large, very engaged email community. Um, so that's, the, that's the type of thing that can drive, you know, thousands of phone calls uh, to, uh, to, to Capitol Hill right. um, and the key offices um, in, in a matter of hours um, and can actually um, move votes um, another uh, great thing they did with their SMS program uh, is, is sort of, you know, offering real constituent support. Um, so, you know, a, a couple of years ago when, um, you know, one of the one of the hurricanes sort of went up the East Coast and there was um, pretty devastating flooding um, in, in her district there in New York, um, they sent a text message um, to constituents um, essentially saying, uh, here are some resources. Um, if you need help and none of these resources can help you, um, reply to this text uh, and we'll help you uh, get the help you need. Um, and, uh, you know, as far as I know, they, they actually followed through on that. Um, so those are just a couple examples of how you can 
um, sort of view your email and SMS programs um, much more broadly uh, than, than uh, fundraising channels and provide real value to people. Um, sure. I have to say on the right, I just don't pay enough attention. You know, I, you know, like you said, I'll occasionally call <laughs> out like when I happen to see like, you know, when Trump does the 7,000 times match or something, you know, I'll, I'll see those and call them out. But I do not. Um, I probably should, but I do not intentionally sign up for Republican lists. I get spam from Ron Johnson and folks like that, um, like <laughs> everybody else, um, which I can't unsubscribe from, turns out, uh, speaking of can't spam. But I don't, unfortunately, I don't know. Uh, well enough to say who on the right has great email programs. I, I'm definitely curious if, if you have thoughts on that, though. Well, I think uh, you're starting to see a lot more folks uh, do content-based newsletters in addition to their their fundraising program. So I think that, you know, um, Todd Young had a really good sort of Axios-style newsletter this cycle. Blake Masters started doing a, a newsletter alongside their fundraising you know, usually scheduled programming. Um, but I want to go back to AOC for a minute because I, I think a lot of people are going to hear that and say, okay, well, she's AOC. She gets to do it differently. Um, is it, does one follow the other, right? It is like, because she is, um, a, you know, a, a unique kind of standout character on the left, does that enable her to run a more advanced program? Or do you think the fact that she's running a more voter-friendly program gives her that, that platform? Is it the chicken or the egg? Well, that's interesting. You know, I think it I think that probably goes in both directions some. And I would say with some of the with some of the things AOC does with with you know her campaign's email program, um, it helps that uh, that she's AOC. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I didn't I didn't mention before, but one of the things I like about the email program is that they will um, they will send um, long form, um, very thoughtful uh, emails that are that are intended to um, to inspire you, um, that are intended to uh, motivate you um, or, or make you think. Um, and so that's very, you know, I think um, on brand with 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 her uh, as, as a candidate. Um, and so I think it, it lines up particularly well there. Um, so, you know, if you're a, if you're a candidate who, um, you know, b believes in treating voters with respect um, and believes in um, communicating uh, with potential voters um, substantively um, and, and in, a, in a deep way that doesn't just rely on sound bites, I think that ultimately, you know, probably does make it um, easier um, to run uh, digital programs in the same mold. Right. Well, my thanks to Josh Nelson for a great conversation. Uh, you can learn more about him in our show notes. I'm going to include a link to the, the poll, which is, is fascinating reading. And as always, if this episode made you just a little bit smarter or gave you something new to think about, all that we ask is that you share it with a friend or a colleague. You'll also look smarter in the process. It helps get the word out about the show. And remember to subscribe to the Business of Politics show wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. You can also sign up to receive email updates at businessofpoliticspodcast.com. We will never spam you. And if you want to make sure you, you always are up to date there, that's the best way to do it. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.